1: run your law firm the right way way. this is the maximum Liar podcast your hosts jim hacking and tyson mutrix let's partner up and maximize your firm welcome to the show welcome back to the maximum lawyer podcast i'm jim hacking
2: and i'm tyson mutrix what's up jimmy
1: Tyson, I think it's funny that we've been knowing each other for 10 years now and it took our guests to point out to you that sometimes people say I look like Philip Seymour Hoffman. So that was sort of funny.
2: Yeah. And you do sort of look like Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. I mean, you don't have quite the talent that he had, but yeah. you know, you're you've got your own strength.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
2: Well, that's
3: why I'm here. I'm here to make sure you guys know who you are.
1: That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly right. Well, let's go ahead and introduce her. Uh, you want to introduce Hillary Tyson? Yeah, so
2: Hillary is the best-selling author, keynote speaker, founder of The Human Way, and former senior executive officer of Toyota Asia Pacific. She believes there is an evolution occurring in business. It's just just not about technology, tactics, integrations, and how much money leaders pump into their companies. It's about love, care, and human connection. Her work draws from topics including Kaizen, I think it's Kaizen, operations, (laughs) customer experience, employee experience, culture, and innovation. Hillary, I'm going to let you take it from there because I don't really, we don't usually do long formal introductions, but I feel like we need to do one with you. And so tell us, I guess, how you, like, tell us about yourself and then tell me if I pronounce Kaizen correctly.
3: It's Kaizen.
2: Kaizen. Very
3: close. Uh, um, Very common though to pronounce it Kaizen. So Kaizen is what made Toyota famous on the manufacturing side of the business. If you think of Toyota, you know for quality Uh, you know, for, for reliability, process improvement. And over the last 10 years, those types of concepts have made their way to the West and sort of been, you know, commercialized as usual with democracy and capitalism, which is great about America. So that's why you've seen things pop up like the Lean Startup by Eric Ries and Six Sigma, any of those real buzzwords that you've heard over the years around process improvement are all You know, really originally from Toyota and even before Toyota Deming. But we won't go there because that's like a century ago. But either way, um, I ran process improvement for Toyota across 14 Asian countries out of Singapore. And I was the first female they ever hired in the region to do the work. The only American, the youngest, the only native English speaker and the only Caucasian. So that's the premise of my first book was about working for a Japanese company, which is the only company I've ever worked for. I've been writing, speaking and consulting ever since. And that first book is now being adapted into a screenplay.
1: Nice. That's awesome. Well, I don't know that we've had anybody who's had their books adapted into a screenplay before. So that's pretty exciting.
3: Fun, fun, fun stuff. Yeah.
1: Let's talk about Kaizen. And I've read a few books on Kaizen. I'm a big fan of it. And, and, and I've tried to implement it in our firm. What do most people get wrong about Kaizen? And then maybe just talk about uh, what you observed at Toyota when it came to the, to the doctrine.
3: Yeah, I love it. Great question. So one of the things that people get wrong with Kaizen, uh, and this is going to hit home for a lot of people is that it's all about the tech. The irony is that tech's just going to amplify whatever your operation is. Tech's just going to take your operation and make it more visible to everyone faster and sooner, you know? And so if you have poor processes, it's not going to make your business more efficient. It's just going to make it exponentially less efficient. <laughs> and so that's what I see very often be the case people implement automation, they implement technology, and they hope that it's going to solve all of their operation problems. But the irony, and I know this from working with the best of the best at Toyota, is that the operation has to be designed first. And then you have to match the tech to the operation. And what people often do wrong is they do the opposite. They implement the tech and then they go, okay, what do we have to change in the operation? Or they don't even ask that question and they just implement the tech. And that's why Salesforce has the reputation that it has now. Salesforce has undeniably been successful. I won't I won't take that away from them. But why is it that we're seeing after Salesforce implementation, after Salesforce implementation, now, now there's coaches developing. So companies go and implement Salesforce and then there's this, a whole other business that arises because they implement it incorrectly. And now they have to go hire a coach to fix their problems. I used to get brought into those situations. I don't anymore because I don't do that. But the point here is you have to design the operation for the person going through the experience, then implement the tech at the right place at the right time to actually solve the problems. And that's where you get optimized experiences. And that's where you get experiences that become viral and people love because it's very much designed for the person going through the experience rather than designing for the benefit of the company. Because here's the thing. You guys know very well, what do we do as business owners? We're constantly looking for how to increase quality or decrease cost constantly. But very often we can do that at the detriment of the very people we serve. You can make a really efficient process. Just like when I came on this podcast, you guys had a really efficient onboarding process. Amazing. It was like one of the best I've been through. I was like, thank God someone finally figured this out. Way to make it easy for the guests. So you have a very efficient process, but very often it's, it, it's efficient for the company, but it's actually harmful or at the detriment of the person going through it. It's more paperwork or it's, you know, more excess work and rather than making it designed for that person. And that's the human way.
2: So Hillary, we're in this environment where we're, I mean, not in person, right? Like where we are on Zoom all the time and everything's just really gone into the cloud, right? So how do we humanize our processes in in this current environment? Because it's going to stick around. It's not like it's going to go away completely. So how can we humanize these interactions?
3: Yeah, great question. So the beauty is right now, everyone's talking about tech and digital innovation, and they have been for 10 years, right? But now it's like COVID, everyone's saying, oh, Now you really have to do digital transformation. Now you really have to make the leap. Yes, you do. But it's not tech or humanization. It's tech and humanization. We as Americans have to get used to the middle path that things can coexist. It's not people or profits. It's people and profits. And the irony is the human way actually leads to more profits. Because imagine if you designed an experience so that it was so well thought through that it expedited people through their journey to to buy faster. I can't tell you how many times I see operations that because of their automation, they actually make it so hard for a consumer to give them money. I see it over and over again. It's like you have layer after layer, barrier after barrier through your tech. And so here, the important point is as you make this transformation to a more digital world, so cold calling, right? Cold calling has changed. Cold calling has become more important than before, and it will be a timeless practice. Emails, drip campaigns, sales calls via video, all these things, you have to really push the envelope of being more of yourself, being more authentic, more real, more natural. Forget the canned responses, forget the corporate jargon, forget the scripts, and open naturally as you, as the way your company wants to show up, as the values your company represents, because that's what's going to build a connection. The, t- the task here. The real big challenge for every company as they make this transition to more digital is how do you create opportunities to build trust? What does that mean? We're in a deep, deep crisis of trust. There's actually some statistics that show from 1970 to 2015, every major big institution has dropped in their level of trust by consumers and the common public by over 20%. So big business, military, medicine, every, every, big institution has plummeted in trust. What does that mean? People don't know what's believable anymore. And so here you are as a business owner saying, yeah, I'm going to make this digital transformation. I'm going to automate the crap out of my business. But very often you can do that without realizing there's always still a human behind that experience and that process. Every digital experience is still a human experience. And so what does that mean? If you have screens between you and your customer in your cold calling process or in your sales process, then you have to fight even harder to build trust. So what does that look like? When you get on the phone, be natural. I had a CEO ask me last week, she said, you know, we're doing this newsletter and I just don't even, I don't know what to say. Like there's so much to say and I don't know what to say. And I was like, then that's what you say. Like what you say is, man, I don't know about you, but I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to say because there's so much to say. And so, you know what? And I asked her, I said, maybe you can frame this as a way to hear out what they want to hear. So frame it as, hey, I'm going to keep it really short this week. Instead of me coming up with ideas, I'm going to be really honest. I don't know what to say. You tell me what you want to hear. And as a result, her newsletter blew up. And so it's like people are craving their yearning for realness because through screens and through our automations, we don't know what the fuck's real anymore. We don't know if the bot is real. We have to question, is that a real person behind there or not? And so as you take this into consideration, be authentic, use storytelling, connect with your company's values, talk like a real person and have deep empathy for the person you're on the other side of the experience. What does that mean? That's not just fluff. That's like straight up. Hey, I know this is really a confusing time for you. Let's talk. And I'll keep this real short to protect your schedule. If someone said that to me, I'd be like, heck yeah, you can have five minutes of my time. Right? So this is not fluff. It's actually incredibly tactical and operational.
2: So you, you brought up something about trust. And by the way, Jim, I just want to point out, she's one of us dropping the F-bomb earlier. Ah, uh, sorry. No, that's good. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're in, in the like-minded people. So that's good. Elise will love hearing the F-bomb. That's great. But we, I mean, we're in an industry where trust is a real yeah. issue. It's, it's already an issue. And I'm not even sure what my question is, other than the fact that any additional tips that you yes. might have for our industry, because it is a problem.
3: Absolutely. So let's get real. The irony is that every weakness can be used as a strength. I actually think your industry has the most, one of the most opportunities. These industries that will never go away, they have their place in the world, but they're slightly antiquated. They do business the old school way, top-down approach, command and control, very traditional. You actually have the most opportunity to really lean into being human and own that space. What does that mean? All of y'all look the same. All of y'all act the same. For the most part, you do very similar work. And so this is where being human is actually a hidden strategic advantage. Because what happens if you act the same and you're selling pretty much the same amount of work? I mean, you guys in in the law industry, there's verticals, right? Injury, et cetera. Like it just goes on. But the, for the most part, you do the same work. And so you're a very commoditized business. What happens when you're a commoditized business? You sell based on features and benefits. You end up competing based on price. And no one wants to do business that way. It becomes exhausting time and time again. You have to hit your monthly sales targets. And so the question becomes how can you compete in a different way? There's a great guy in Austin, Texas, which is where I live. I'm not going to quote his name because I don't necessarily want to give him business. But I will give him credit, which he calls himself something like the rock star injury lawyer or something. And he is just straight up like crazy hair and like wears leather in his advertisements. And he's just like, dude, I love rock music and I'm a lawyer. And those two things can coexist. And you know what? He's not for everyone. But anyone who likes rock music, which is a very big constituency in the United States, will love this guy if they get, you know, in an injury or have an injury and have to get a lawyer. So what does that mean in a commodity business? How can you as a company look at who you are, your identity, how you show up in the world and push the envelope for how to be more human? And com- so that you're competing in a different way. What does that mean? That means your sales scripts, your cold calls, your emails, your drip campaigns, your onboarding process. I've been seeing more and more contracts and agreements be humanized. I just signed my new book publishing deal, it was a six page contract. You know how long my lease in a Skyrise in downtown Austin was? 120 pages. How much bullshit is that compared to my six page book publishing deal, which I think is slightly more important than my Skyrise lease? agreement. So what does that mean? In the contract world now, everyone's going to say, well, they have to, we have to cover our basis. But this is where you have to really question yourself. It's not where can't I be human? Where can I be human? Where can I have empathy with my customers? Where can I show up more as myself and take on a bigger identity and have more fun with my brand as a way to connect with people to see that I see you, you matter, and I'm here for you. And it's not going to be through proving your credibility or proving your results or talking about features and benefits is going to be connecting with them as a human.
2: Jim, you got to check out this website. It is rocked <laughs> Rockstar lawyer is his brand, <laughs> reckless pursuit of justice. It is fantastic. This guy, he, he looks rock and roll, man. And it's, <laughs> he's wearing this Led Zeppelin shirt, but half of it it's split in half and half of it's a suit. This is fantastic. We'll have him on the show. Yeah, for sure. that guy's great. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. So Hillary, <laughs> you may not have wanted to give him business, but I, I, uh, I go for- <laughs> interesting. That's really cool. All right. you know,
3: what I appreciate about him is he has courage to show up how he wants to show up in the world. And I love how you guys show up in the way you want to show up in the world. So we talk about there's six traits to human error companies. One, they have deep customer empathy. As an example, USAA Bank, when they train their employees, they actually make them wear the vest that people in the army wear, to feel the weight of what they go through. They make them eat army meals to feel the pain of terrible tasting meals, to have empathy for the customer. So there's very tactical operational ways. And law firms, if anything, are known for not having empathy. They're cold, heartless, and sterile. That's what I say all the time. CHS is my acronym. Most operations, when they're implemented with tech, become cold, heartless, and sterile. It's just a company pushing you and shoving you down processes. And then they wonder why they don't get the results they want. And if you humanize those, if you understand at the stage of the experience, the customer wants that connection, you will actually drive better results. So having deep customer empathy, having personality attitude and values own your shit if you're a rock star, own it if you're super formal own it i had a ceo of a commercial real estate agency out of san diego asked me a couple of weeks ago hey we really want to let our agents be business casual is that okay i'm like dude that's not for me to decide is it okay to you how do you want to show up as a company uh, and that's what people a lot of ceos feel that type of pressure they don't know How much should I say? How much should I not say? How should I show up? How should I not show up? They practice real talk. They love surprise moments. So if you're a law firm, figure out how to make moments and elements of surprise and wow at the points in the experience that are most important. I see this at contract signing and onboarding where it fails the most. Your customer is the most excited and you just make it as tedious and monotonous as possible. You almost like want it to be miserable for them. Don't. Try to flip the switch. How do you make it exciting? Open The, the fifth trait is they're open, honest, and show their unique self. We've talked about that. And the last one is they create opportunities to represent your brand. Whataburger did a great thing in the state of Texas. It's a burger chain. They actually launched a line of doormats that say you better have brought Whataburger. It's brilliant. Now, is it making them loads of money? No, but it's not stupid propaganda of like, a leather book with your name on it, no one wants those anymore. It gives an opportunity for your customers to evangelize the brand. And so to all the law firms out there listening to this, like, please take one of these and like, just think, who am I, how do I want to show up? And how do I implement one of these traits in a way that's more unique to myself?
2: The Guild is an insanely productive community of lawyer entrepreneurs with a growth mindset who share their collective genius and hold each other accountable to take their careers and businesses to the next level. But in 2021, we are upping the game. In addition to exclusive access to the group, FaceTime with the two of us, discounted pricing for live events, and front seat exposure to live recording and podcasts and video, we are mapping out for members the exact growth playbook with our new program, Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time.
1: As a Guild member, you'll build relationships and experience content specifically designed to complement your plan for growth. For a limited time only, the Maximum Lawyer and Minimum Time program will be offered for free to all new Guild members. Join us by going to maxlawguild.com. We're talking today with Hilary Korna, and she's a marketing and business expert. We're glad to have her on the show. I have lots of questions, Hilary, but I'm going to go to one from our members, and it touches on what you just said. So many people think, oh, if I do my marketing and make it personalized, that that'll turn people off. and or other people will copy me. And I tell people all the time, no one's going to copy you because they can't. I'm an immigration lawyer and another immigration lawyer and I are going to have very different takes on the same thing. So infusing it with our personality is the only way to stand out. I think you're right about that.
3: Okay. So I love, love, love what you're saying. Key point, use original language. I've always had a rule of thumb in my life to not speak with cliches because cliches are in one ear out the other. People don't listen, absorb and analyze what you're saying. So use original language. What does that mean? Speak the way you speak, speak real talk, speak the way your customers speak. I'm working with this app that works with, it pairs construction companies with construction workers. And it just so happens that the guy designing the app is super intelligent, human, you know, straight from Vancouver has a lot of experience in Silicon Valley. And so every prompt the app had was incredibly sophisticated and professional, professional, whatever that means these days, and very cold. And I was like, who are you talking to? You're talking to construction workers. You have to speak like them. So yes, use original language, use humor. Don't be afraid to lean in. The irony is once you take this leap and you just have to take the leap, talk like yourself and take the leap. Then you'll start to see more engagement. You'll start to see more responses to your emails. You'll start to see more tags on your social because people don't want canned response. People want something that's believable.
2: I'm just sort of absorbing all this. This is, this is just really, I think, really good information. I think it's stuff that we need to need to hear because we just had um, Dan Schnurbush on the other day and he's got this estate planning website and it was really just dry and bland and it didn't, it didn't really convey his personality. And then we did this hot seat and he, he just reconfigured everything and he he made it a lot more personal and it looks so much better. And it, whenever, like, whenever I saw it, I I had this, this connection with him because he talks about his story because he he lost his dad and his dad didn't have the estate plan that he was, that he should have had. And so he he tells that story now. uh, And that's, it just, You have that personal connection. So will you talk a little bit more about just stories and personal connections that will help convey your message and and know, like, and trust you more?
3: Yes, 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 yes. I love this. So storytelling is one of the traits that human-centered companies typically use. It's a very strategic tactic. As an example, this construction company that I mentioned, this gentleman who owns the company actually designs TED Stages. So that's his background. He builds TED Stages. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's cool. That adds to your credibility. It's super impressive. But only like a month into working with him did I find out that actually his dad in Canada back in like the early 50s and 60s in their community of 500 homes built 400 of those homes. And that he is known as a legacy in his town in Canada for having like built community and brought people together and created a safe space for that community to live and breathe. And I was like, dude, that's your story. It's not like, listen, I know you worked for Ted and that's really cool, but like that doesn't connect with builders or constructors. What connects with builders and constructors is, Hey, I'm on this level. And, you know, most likely I'll probably be in construction the rest of my life. That's my identity. So connect with them. As an example for myself, one of the stories I often tell about my time at Toyota is, um, So my father was an entrepreneur, but he was not successful. He actually passed away when I was nine months old in a car accident. And about 10 years ago, we found a letter that he had written to himself prior to his passing. And what he says in that letter is that, you know, this is going to be one of the biggest challenges of my career. He was taking over my grandpa's company. And he said, should I succeed? May I always be reminded of the things that matter most and not be distracted by the frugal rewards of hard work and dedication. And always know that what matters most is my family and my love for them. And so I tell that story a lot in my keynotes because I think entrepreneurs are really yearning for that type of meaning and purpose. And yeah, we can make a shit ton of money. We know how to make businesses that run with machine life efficiency. Like we can do that. The tools are there. But when you hear customer stories and when you connect with them on a deeper level, and when you hear how your company changed their life, that's what people connect to. So for example, with testimonials, anyone out there who has testimonials on their website, stop using produced testimonials. No one believes it anymore. Every, honestly, you don't even think they're real for the most part, but it's a waste of time. And people say, oh, well, it has to look professional. It has to be polished. It has to be recorded with a high def camera. It doesn't. My favorite thing is what I call testimonials which is using real text that you got and posting that on your website because it's more real. It's more authentic. It's more in the moment. And that's what people are craving that behind the scenes. So any chance that you can use storytelling and testimonials is also really effective tactic. Like let your customer, we would always say Toyota, show me, don't tell me, let your customer speak on your behalf rather than you trying to create a narrative that your future prospects want to hear.
1: Thanks for sharing that story about your dad's letter. And I, instantly connected to you more than I had before, just by hearing Mm. it. So I think the point was proven just right there in your share. I want to shift gears for a minute, just because we're coming up against time. And and this is a question I wanted to ask you. So I practice law with my wife and Mm. she's in charge of the production of legal services, like actually doing the, the legal work with other lawyers and she supervises them. And we've been doing a ton of work on improving our systems, improving our systems and sort of incremental change Kaizen. Um, mm. probably not doing it right, but we're, we're trying to incrementally improve, but she gets really frustrated when a mistake occurs. Mm. And I'm wondering if you just talk about where does the role of mistakes fall into the improvement process in Kaizen?
3: Oh, what a beautiful question to end on. The founder of the Toyota production system, his name is Taiichi Ono. And Taiichi Ono has a great quote that says, and of course I'm going to butcher it on the spot. Every problem is not a problem. Every problem is actually an opportunity. Something along the lines of that. And so the great wisdom of Toyota that many people can't harness because it's long-term, it's not short-term benefits of you know process improvement, is that operations is designed to be indefinite. There is never a point in improving someone's lives that you're just... I can wash my hands of this. We're done. We've made this so perfect because what happens, people evolve, people change their ne- your customers' needs and wants are changing, especially with Covid in some industries day to day. And so when we talk about mistakes, Toyota just would simply never use that word. And it's really how do you change your perspective and the framing of that problem that now you have more information? What does that tell you in terms of how you need to do things differently? What is that? How does that inform your future decisions? And so this is very much a challenge of Western mindsets and the education system that we're built upon. I truly believe that our future and success as a culture and society is actually in learning skills that make us human, not things that robots can do. And why do I bring this up? Right now, everyone's teaching coding, scripting, automation, engineering, and In the short term, yeah, it's highly valuable. I will not deny that. But there will be a point where robots can do those things better than us. And that is a risk. When we as humans don't know how to do original thinking or creative problem solving, teamwork, collaboration, these are the skill sets that I believe are the future. Now, I'm not talking about next year, but I think in the next 10 years. And so to your point, Jim, problem solving and how do you deal with failure and resiliency and recovery? is a skill set that as humans, the more we nurture it, the more successful we'll become. And in process improvement is never even seen as a failure.
2: Hillary, I could talk to you freaking all day. This is just great. <laughs> I love talking about systems and processes and adding that human element. It's fantastic, but we do need to wrap things up. Before I do, how do people get in touch with uh, you if they want to work with you?
3: Absolutely. So there's a couple ways to engage. The most personal is my weekly newsletter, The Human Way in that i share real-time examples from companies that are first to market with this trend and that are benefiting from it i show a lot of befores and afters and some case studies so if you want to go to the website it's just my name hillarycorner.com there's only one of me and that's one l not two my name is uh permanently damaged (laughs) um or plagued whatever you want to call it Uh, so hillarycorner.com in terms of social i write the most on linkedin so feel free to connect with me on linkedin happy to make that connection And I would say I am the most human on Instagram. And then I'm usually the most opinionated on Twitter.
2: I love it. I like opinions. So does Jim. Jim's got a lot of strong opinions as well. (laughs) Um, All right. But I am going to wrap things up. So please join us in the guild. If you're interested in the guild, it's maxlawguild.com. A lot of great high-level people in the guild sharing a lot of great information that you're not able to get in the big group but if the guild's not for you check out the big group on facebook and then also at the end of this episode please give us a five-star review so we help spread the love jimmy what's your hack of the week
1: well first of all let me thank hillary for coming on the show you know we have these guests sometimes tyson from time to time it's not not that often to tell you the truth that people actually say things that are going to haunt me for weeks and weeks and things to think about and I somewhat resent that, but I also appreciate it. So Hillary, thanks for that. And my hack of the week is to study the work of Dr. W. Edwards Deming. That's where a lot of the incremental improvement movement comes from. There's a great website for the Deming Institute called Deming.org. There are resources, there's videos, there's obviously there's lots of books. I have one of his books that I've started and it's it's good. It's, it helps you sort of look at improvements in a neutral way without getting all the emotional and, and like Hillary said, just never being satisfied and always looking to improve.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Love it, Jimmy. All right, Hillary. we always ask our guests to give a tip or hack of the week. Do you have a tip or hack for us?
3: Yes, so here's my challenge. I want you this week before Thanksgiving to somehow call it out. Go whether you're uncomfortable on your social or your blog, whatever that platform is, or maybe you have a weekly call with your clients Call out the falseness of your industry. Say some myth, say some mistruth about what's going on and then people's interpretation of your work. That is a moment, that is a chance for you to build trust with your people because people want to know the truth.
2: And I am going to say, I don't know if this will air in the new year, but it may oh. not air right before New Year's. So I would let's say, let's yeah, re- reset it. Three and- word. For the New Year's or whatever this drops, I'm not sure when this is going to drop. Jimmy, Beautiful. Do you know, basically, just give yourself a deadline and and yeah. do, do what Hillary just said cause that's I think it's great advice. I like it. I mean, it's good because the guild gets to see this today and they they can they can do it before Thanksgiving. Fantastic. So my tip of the week is an app, and I talk about the you know your top three things you should do each day, and it's a modification from you know a variety of other people that you know talk about writing down five things to do each day and then do those five things and nothing else mine's a top three and it's really hard to find a digital version that it's not too much or not not enough i mean you, there's a lot of d- different apps that do a lot of things and i found one that's super simple I, all i need is something super simple and it's today tomorrow and someday and so you can write down the things that you're going to do today and it reminds you and then you, or you can put if you know you want to do something tomorrow you can put on tomorrow if it's a someday you put it on someday. So all those things that you put on your long task list would go under someday, things you know you're going to do tomorrow, obviously tomorrow, and then things you want to do today, the top three you do today. And it's a free app. It's called Someday. And it's really cool. It's simple. If you want all the bells and whistles, it's not for you. But if you just want something really simple that'll help you track your tasks for today and tomorrow and someday, this is one for you. So that's our tip of the week. Hillary, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a lot of great information that you've shared. And so thank you so
1: much.
3: You're so welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you.